Thank you so much. Thank you, Caleb, Aaron, praise man. We must have needed somebody to play keys today, so we appreciate you. Thank you much. Take your Bibles, if you would, and find the Old Testament book of Ezra, Ezra chapter 3. And uh, it is our book for January, maybe not as well known as some of the books that we've used in January, but uh, part of our uh, study and emphasis will be 10 chapters in Ezra. We appreciate it if you'd maybe read that during the week as well. We'll be part of our uh, message and uh, part of our theme for this week. We're glad to see you. Thank, hey, you're back. We're glad that you've come. You know, we filled the place last week. We knew we were going to have close to 60 youth that are going to be out and their chaperones uh, the, this week. But uh, So we're glad you're here. Come to fill the sanctuary. Are you thawed out? It's not as bad today. We know that that's coming. It was cold earlier this morning, and uh, both uh, Aaron and Dick had coats on throughout the, all throughout the first service. They were about to freeze me to death with their coats on. But... We're better now. Don't get too warm or you'll fall asleep a lot quicker. I want you to stay with me today as well. But uh, we know uh, as we've come here today, we know that the Lord has great things in store for us. And we're excited about how the Lord's going to be at work. I feel like we've got good mo going. That is a good momentum. And as we've started the new year, many of you here last week, you're here again this week, and we're glad to see you. We always have, if you're a guest today, know that you're not, you're not the only one. We have guests every week, and we're glad that you're here, so you're not the only one uh, that is here, and we hope that you'll come be with us again and come back. We're in Ezra chapter 3, going to be reading verses 10 through 13, 10 through 13, but... Keep your Bibles open, if you would, because we'll be looking at some other verses around, both in chapter 3 and chapter 4 as well. Or if you've got it on your phone, that's okay. Keep your thumbs ready. Don't text and uh, read at the same time. No, it's text and drive. Never mind. Uh, Ezra chapter 3 and verse 10, this is the word of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the direction of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsibly, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and the Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy." so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping, for the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word today. Well, you've come here today because we've gathered here together for a time of worship. Sometimes, of course, we always hope that the singing service and the preaching service kind of go hand in hand, but sometimes it just fits really, really well, and it has Today, from the very first song that we sang, you may have noticed it, it talks about praising God when all things were good, praising God even in the struggles, and even talking about how good uh, the Lord is today. So we're glad that you have gathered. Hopefully it is a praise and worship, uh, regardless of what we're doing, even the proclamation of His Word. I am reminded, though, of uh, all the storms or the would-be storms that we've heard on the news, of course, several years ago, uh, <clears throat> serving at a church, uh, there was a storm that came through really from the hurricane, a past hurricane that really affected probably most of the state, even the town in which we were living, probably not our town as much as others. It came through toward the first of the week, but we lost all our electricity. 
and uh, lost, most of the week we'd lost all of our electricity, and uh, so we did what we could, helped neighbors, a lot of debris, minor damage, those kind of things, probably spent the week mostly doing that. The worst thing about, for me, the worst thing about losing electricity were the cold showers. So every morning when I got up, I remembered the words of Jesus to Judas in the upper room, whatever thou doeth, doeth quickly. And so we did. But the question of the week was, are we going to have worship on Sunday? Even we got toward the end of the week, powers turned on some parts of the town, not where the church was, not where we were living. But the answer was yes, even if we don't have power, we're going to have church on Sunday, one way or the other. So I get up early on Sunday morning, and I clean out, uh, got a lot of the debris, a lot of the limbs, things that were in the churchyard, even got the mower out, mowed everything, uh, got the podium set in place. We brought out all the chairs we might need for the service to do outside. It's about October, so it would have been a good time of the year to do that, but rather than sitting in the dark sanctuary that we were going to be outside. Ten minutes before anyone arrives, the... Uh, utility truck of the power company comes in, man climbs up the pole, hits the handle on the transformer, and we have power. I've been praying for power for five days, and he comes ten minutes. Why couldn't he come two or three hours before? So I did what any preacher would do. I go into where the fuse box is in the church, and I turn off every fuse and every power that we have, and nobody ever knew. In fact, we came, had worship outside. I told them when they come, I said, bring you. So we're going to be outside, wear your work clothes, lots of limbs, minor damage at the church. We're going to work at the church afterwards. Sometime that afternoon, finally I snuck back in, turned on all the breakers and said, hey, it's a miracle. We've got light. We've got light. Uh, Listen, may it be whether we have in the dark or in the light, whether it be in the cold or whether it be in the warm, whether electricity or no electricity, regardless of what's happening in our life, may it be that we always put a priority on worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No matter how things are happening in this world, may we always bring Him thanks and want to worship Him. Football players might come and score a touchdown sometimes, and you might see, not every football player, of course, but they might stop. And they either may take a knee or maybe raise a finger toward heaven as if they're thanking the Lord for that, and I'm all for that. But may it be that whether we feel like we've scored the touchdown or we have the victory or we don't have the victory or maybe feel like things are not going the way in which we would like, may we continue to give thanks and praise to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, at all times. The book of Ezra, it's all about worship. The Israelites have been in exile because of their unfaithfulness to God. If you read in the Old Testament, particularly maybe before the book of Ezra and even after that, but if you read, you will find how God continues to be faithful and patient with His people even when they were not faithful. But He warned them. He said there's going to be a time of exile, and He also gave them hope of a return. The Scriptures, it tells us that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, comes and conquers Jerusalem, burns down the temple, and exiles most of the people to Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were conquered by Cyrus the Great, king of Persia, who made a proclamation all Israelites could return and rebuild the temple to worship Yahweh, the God of Israel. We read just a moment ago that the rebuilding of the temple has begun, that the foundation has been laid. But as we will see, it's not just about the building, it's about their God, the one and only whom they worship. So keeping with the theme for our book for January, making application for today, let's discover together through these couple of chapters and the passages that we read our motivation for worship and our purpose for worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
the Almighty God and Savior. He was meant to be worshipped. Today, in this month, the theme will be all about worship. All about worship. Well, after 70 years in exile, less than 50,000 of the Israelites, there had been 2 million or more Israelites that were in Babylon, less than 50,000 have come to Jerusalem during this first return. And of the faithful remnant who returned, one of the reasons for worship is to worship Him because you are not safe. Worship Him because you... Wait, did I read that correctly? Yeah. Worship Him because you are not safe. Our focal passage, Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. But looking at some of these other chapters, would you look with me in Ezra chapter 3 and verse 3 to where it says... They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the people of the lands, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. It's it's slightly different, perhaps, in the NIV. If you read in the New International Version, the very first part of that says, despite their fears of the people around them, they built an altar where the temple stood, where it was going to be rebuilt again. The first thing they did, even before it's built, is they built an altar in spite of their fears. Well, I'd like for that to be me. That regardless of how fearful I may be, regardless of what others do, that no matter what, I want to do the right thing. I always want to worship the Lord. I want to be obedient in His sight. God, give me the courage to face whatever it is that is in front of me, the courage to be able to follow all of Your will for my life, overcome overcome any fears. May my worship and my obedience never waver. Now, I know that I'm not going to be perfect in that, as none of us are, but oh, I'd like for that to be me. I'd like for that, hopefully you'd like for that to be you. Church, it's, it's kind of how we faced COVID. You know, now that we've had COVID, we have certainly maybe lots of illustrations as well. Do you know that as a church, you never closed? We continued to worship even when other churches did not. We encouraged people, though, to watch from home, but on the worship hour, we gathered in this very space with mostly staff, some others who wanted to come and be a part of worship, and we worship. You know what we did on Wednesdays? What do we use on Wednesdays? We eat, we continue to eat. As a matter of fact, thankful for our hospitality team because in the midst of COVID, many, many weeks and many months, we continue to make food with kind of a bag it and grab it kind of thing through the drive. We had a drive through come and get the food that you want. We took it to the senior adults, many of those who could not. We even went to the housing authority, some of those who were living in government housing just because we wanted to show how much we cared during this crisis of time. Prayed with countless people, shared the gospel, had some come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, all while wearing masks and gloves. Kept the office open, continued to do ministry as well. COVID caused us maybe not to do less ministry, but instead to do different kinds of ministry than we would have done before. I remember sitting in more than one Zoom meeting and otherwise talking about what we need to do to keep people safe, keep them healthy during the times of COVID. And I said it, you know, sounds maybe kind of crass now as I think about it, but our purpose and our mission is not to keep everybody healthy or well physically. We want to take needed precautions, care for others, but we're not that kind of hospital. We exist in order to... Uh, exalt, glorify the name of Jesus and so that more people will be involved in a growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't do that necessarily by canceling what we do as a church or in worship or in ministries. It doesn't help us to achieve our mission. May we as a church and individuals always be ready to worship and do God's will regardless of what comes or what others may think. But that's not why the remnant that came to Jerusalem built that altar on that day. 
not in spite of their fears. It's better understood that they built the altar because they were afraid of their enemies. They saw a need for God's protection and presence, so they went to Him. We do not gather here today because you have no needs. We don't gather here today because you have all faith or because you're always disobedient and never afraid. We gather here because we have a need for the Lord Jesus and a personal walk with Him in our life today. That's why the writer of Hebrews wrote, Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we might be able to what? Might be able to find grace and might be able to be able to find help in our time of need. You might remember the Old Testament, the Israelites, when they crossed the Jordan River out of the wilderness and came into the promised land, even when they came and they circled around the walls of Jericho and in all other battles, always the priest and the Ark of the Covenant would go before them, symbolizing, not only symbolizing, but in reality that they needed God to go before them wherever they went. It's the great danger of our culture which seems to thrive on people being self-sufficient and a focus on what we've done for ourselves. We forget who is the source of everything and we are in great need. He's promised, he's not promised physical safety in this world in which we live, even for faithful believers. In fact, it's just the opposite. The more faithful you are, the more danger you might be in. Jesus told us these very things. He did tell us, though, that we could be sure of our salvation. We could be sure that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us, and we can be sure that we can have life and real living found in Jesus. And today, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, may our very worship today, reasons we've come together, even an Old Testament book like Ezra calls you to know and understand, yes, I need Jesus in my life. I have a need. I need to ask Jesus to forgive me of my sins and to be my Lord and Savior. We're to worship Him in thanksgiving and because we're in great need for His presence and closeness in the fallen world in which we live. Again, defining worship by not just what we do here on Sunday, but worship is understood as what you do when you get alone with the Lord Jesus and you or calling out to Him, whether it be in, next to your bed or in your living room or while you're driving down the road. And certainly, worship is when you're with your family and you decide we need to pray together, whether it be before a meal or a designated time and you're reading God's Word, you're praying together. Worship is what you do when you are in your house with your family or when you go to work or you go to school, follow this hobby or that, whatever it is. It is an act of worship as you dedicate it to the Lord Jesus Christ. How many times have you heard, with all the wars, sickness, evil, and injustice in the world, I don't know how you can believe that there is a God that He is all-powerful or all-loving. He must not exist. Can I tell you simply this? It is because of all the wars and the illness and the evil and injustice in the world that I must believe in a God because I have a need for God. If there is none, then we are a people to be most pitied and there is no hope. But I cling to the one who is still King of kings and Lord of lords. I know that my Redeemer lives. So we're talking about all about worship, our motivations. Well, worship Him to show that you're fully committed. Worship Him to show that you're fully committed and dedicated to the Lord. The Lord gave the Israelites a tabernacle and then a temple. And it was clearly understood that the Lord said, This is my temple. This is my tabernacle, my sanctuary. 
It is the place in which the Lord dwelt, and even more specifically that the Lord dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And even more specific than that, He dwelt in between the cherubim on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Scripture tells us that. But even the Israelites understood that's not the only place in which He dealt. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 139 and verse 8, he said, the psalmist, the psalmist said, I, if I send to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Now notice here in Ezra chapter 3, they're worshiping God, even though the temple and the ark are not present. Look with me, if you would, Ezra chapter 3 and verse 1. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man in Jerusalem. Now, in the seventh month. The seventh month is a very special month in the life of Israel for the celebrations that took place. Now understand the people who returned from Babylon, 900 mile trip, and now they come to the land of Judah. Most of them probably went to their hometowns or the place in which their family were from, but then they, they began the work on the first day of the seventh month as they gathered together in Jerusalem. The first day of the seventh month it would be the day in which the Israelites, even before this time, and still sometimes and still today for many, in which they would celebrate the new year and the Feast of Trumpets. A day to celebrate all that God had done. It began when the Israelites left the wilderness and new calendar for the Israelites uh, began. And trumpets or the shofar will be sounded throughout the day. Today it's called Rosh Hashanah also relates to the dedication of the temple, which we're reading about today. And they were told to have this day of celebration, remembering every year on this day all that God had done. And so they gathered together to celebrate. And they also observed the Feast of Booths. Look at verse 4, Ezra chapter 3 and verse 4. And it says, And they kept the Feast of Booths, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day Required, also called the Feast of Tabernacles, in which they would take the week and they would actually uh, build uh, temporary dwellings and live out in the yard or out in the fields for a week. Yes, it sounds to me like they'd go camping for the week. And, uh, but it was a very sacred day, a day which they would remember and celebrate God's provision about the Israelites and how God provided while they were in the wilderness. This is significant. Because there were 70 years in exile, and in those 70 years, and probably many years leading up to this, they had not observed these holy days. But in doing so, they're committing themselves once again to being faithful to God. At least this small remnant were committing themselves to the Lord. We live in a day in which Sunday, the Lord's Day, is just another day in the week. Another day for work, day for sleeping in, day for ball games, more and more activities, extracurricular activities being planned on Sunday because it's the day that kids are not in school, most people are off work, not everybody. Well, what can you do? Well, do remember the words of the Apostle Paul that said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. No matter how small a percentage compared to the rest of the country, the rest of the world, or even those others who proclaim Christ, keep worship a Priority, More important maybe today perhaps than at any other time. Now understanding that being in worship doesn't make you a believer, doesn't mean you go into heaven or stay out of heaven because you didn't come to church on Sunday. But it is because that we have a heartfelt desire to be with other people in worship. For many 
of the people of Israel, the temple had become an idol. They really were worshiping the temple. It was true in the days leading up to the exile. As long as they had the temple, they were safe. As long as they were children of Abraham, they were safe. Didn't really matter if they had a relationship with God. Didn't really even matter how much, how well they behaved. You might eat. Remember, it certainly happened leading up before the days of what we're reading in Ezra and the exile, and it was true in Jesus' day. You remember, of course, Jesus thought the temple was important. You remember him turning over the money changers because he wanted the temple to be called a house of prayer. But as also he, when he said and made the comment that one day gave prophecy that this one day this temple will come down and I'll rebuild it in three days. Well, certainly got in trouble because he said anything against the temple. But their faith was not in the temple. Or excuse me, their faith was in the temple and their heritage, but not in Yahweh God. Many became idol worshipers. They'd worship other idols as long as they had the temple. They proved you cannot worship God and other idols. Sometimes we might have a hard time relating to folks in the Old Testament and talk about idol worship and all of these things because maybe we don't have graven images that we put in our living room that we bow down to or put incense to. Some people do. Most of us probably do not. But Jesus helps us in making the correct application regardless of our culture. For a while, you and I might not have shapes of idols in our den. We might have one sitting in the driveway. We might have it at the lake, or we might have it as our bank account. And it's not just for the people of means, because many people have an idol of what they want or what they covet to have. But Jesus said, you might remember, you cannot serve God in mammon, or you cannot serve God in money. He didn't say you should not, he said you cannot because you'll end up loving one and hating the other and serving one and not the other. So if you have something besides God and you're trying to worship both or your importance becomes not just God or not just church or not just your relationship with Jesus becomes that plus something else, by default you'll end up worshiping not, the, not God, but you'll end up worshiping the something else. Maybe you can fake it for a while, but eventually it'd be... No, don't be like the guy who's saying money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat and a truck to pull it. I've had many people who have come to me, Christians who are of means, and by the way, most of us are compared to the rest of the world, and they begin to walk with the Lord Jesus and want to follow Him, and as they do, they almost feel guilty because they have so much, and they ask me what, what, what they should do. And Years ago, I would say, have you ever thought about helping needy children like the ones in my house? Oh, actually, when I might would say that, and they might snicker just like you did. But uh, I would say, now, you know, but first of all, realize who is the source of everything that you have. If you have anything, it's because of the Lord Jesus. He is the source of all that. And that you must have a relationship and follow his direction. You might remember the widow who gave everything she had. It was uh, Zacchaeus who gave away half of what he had to the poor. Then there are people like Barnabas and many others who gave of their means so that the kingdom might be built. Here's what I would say. If the Lord has given you something, have fun using it to help to build and move forward the kingdom of God. Because, listen, the givers and the generous people seem to be a whole lot more joyous than those who are the misers and those who keep things for themselves. Thus, here were a remnant of the Israelites who previously relied on the temple, the Ark of the Covenant, who laid only the foundation, who are found in genuine worship and genuine understanding that worship is about having a heart of faith and exalting His name, 
rather than a structure. Oh, we also want to understand our motivation, how we might be able to worship. Well, worship Him so the world will know. Worship Him so the world will know. We ought to pay close attention to this particular passage because oftentimes in the Old Testament, we learn from the Israelites what they should not do. But here we have in the Old Testament, we have a chapter, at least in Ezra chapter 3, of the things that they are doing well. Less than 50,000 of the 2 million who were exiled to Babylon have returned, but they were getting it right. Reminding us that God always has a true remnant, has a remnant of true believers in genuine worship. And unfortunately, these very ones along with others will become disobedient. We'll see more about that this month. In just a few minutes, the work they have come to do will stop. But for the moment... Can we rejoice and come along beside them and learn about genuine worship and being fully committed to the Lord? Picture the scene, if you will. Writer of Ezra 3 has helped us with that and what we read earlier. The builders have laid the foundation. And the temple uh, priest and the Levites, they have come forward ready to worship. They're wearing the worship garb. They're carrying trumpets and cymbals because they know when this is completed, they're going to have a worship service take place. And they said, as King David would have them to do. And I believe it's talking, referring to the fact when the ark was first brought to Jerusalem and how they worshiped God. And they began to sing. We have the song in verse 11. For he is good, his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. For he is good, his steadfast love endures forever toward... This kind of this reminds me of the 7-Eleven song sometimes used in contemporary worship. You know, seven words we repeat 11 times over and over and over again. Well, it said they did it responsibly, so maybe they were doing it over and over again, or maybe the priest would say it and then they would repeat it, or maybe the priest would say one part and then the, they would uh, re- say the next part or whatever. And uh, are, you, are you with me today? Is everybody awake? Let's see if we can get a, a sense maybe of what took place with this. Everybody's, I'm watching you, you're watching me. Good, most everybody is. Let's do this. All right, I'm going to say the first part, for he is good, and then would you respond by saying the part that you see in bold. For he is good. Toward Israel, let's do it again. For he is good. We get a sense, maybe, we could imagine 50,000 saying and repeating this. you know that phrase that's repeated sometimes in churches and by people, God is good, and somebody says all the time, all the time, God is good. Well, I read somewhere just recently that that actually began in churches in Nigeria as a call to worship, that they would repeat that, I'm sure, in their own language. And then actually came began to be used in the United States, first of all, by prisoners in prisons that would use this maybe in forms of worship. Sometimes maybe by asking or maybe if a person would respond to whether they were genuine worshipers or not or whether they knew Jesus or not, but always being used, in particular during difficult times, but to declare that God is good all the time. Remember that movie, God's Not Dead? In the movie, God's Not Dead, I didn't know the significance of that time, but there's an American pastor and there's a Nigerian pastor. Whenever they saw one another... He, one would say, God is good. The other would say, all the time. But after reading the story, now I see even more of the effects of understanding that first came from Nigeria. We make the world aware of our faith by who and how we worship. Still got your Bibles open? Look at verse 12. Ezra chapter 3 and verse 12. We read it a moment ago. It says, but many of the priests 
And Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy. I'm really wanting you to picture the scene here. So they, they're coming on. There's all kinds of ages, lots of families. Chapter 2 talks about the families that came. Men and women, boys and girls, some old guys. And uh, they were there as well. And they remembered the first temple, the Temple of Solomon. And the splendor of that temple, when we first read it, it may look like, well, they're just getting choked up. Look, the temple's being rebuilt. But what's really being portrayed here is the fact that it is smaller and it is not as grand as the temple of Solomon. And same worship, different perspectives, but God continues to be glorified. And then in uh, verse 13, we read it a moment ago, but it says, So the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. The sounds of worship were here heard near and far. No, we don't necessarily need to have worship louder, but it is when we come together in genuine worship, it will be known. It'll be known in your families. It'll be known in the community. It'll be known far and wide because of the difference that worship makes in your life. And other people want to come and worship the Almighty God and Savior. It's all about worship. Worship Him even when others are not or when persecuted. Ezra 3 is a chapter to follow by example. You can circle that chapter. So this is a good example of the Israelites. It doesn't happen that often. Here it is. But in Ezra chapter 4, there begins to be problems and persecutions. Read carefully with me, Ezra chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the returned exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel, and the heads of the fathers' houses said to them, Let us build with you, for we worship your God as you do. And we've been sacrificing to him ever since the days of Esharden, king of Assyria, who brought us here. Other folks come along, they say, Let, Let's build with you. Now, you've got that... Those chapters in front of you, notice the very fourth word, third word sometimes, in, depending on your translation, it's either the word adversary or enemy. You don't have to read very far to know that their request to help build was not genuine. They did not worship the same God, nor were their motives to help build the temple. When the, extra, when the Israelites were exiled to Babylon, they, there were some who were left in the promised land, some Hebrews that were still there, Others were moved in, such as the Assyrians. They began to intermarry, thus became a mixture of faith and religions. Those people are the ones that we know in the New Testament as the Samaritans, the ones whom the Jewish people hated and whom Jesus showed great love. The application for us is not to partner in what we may think is kingdom building with those who are of a different faith. Be aware who may mean us harm physically or spiritually, I want to harm the way we worship or what we believe. The stakes are too high to take a chance in partnering with those who are placing an emphasis contrary to the gospel. Let's talk just a moment about how we might be able to know a difference. It would be long and hard probably for us to name all the things perhaps that would be different, those things that we would be against. But let it be known, or it should not be known, but it seems to be that sometimes people just see our church, our churches today, as just as what they are against. It would be easier for me to tell you the essentials in those things which we are for. We have five core values of Parkway Baptist Church. First of those has to do with the Bible. The Bible, we understand, is the, 
inspired, inerrant, only authoritative truth. We, we talk a lot about each one of these. We're just going to list them here for you. Truth is not relative. We find truth and we have one thing that we can hold and that we can read. We understand that it is the inspired Word of God and that is the Bible. And the center person of that Bible is Jesus. So Jesus, of course, is one of our core values. He is the one and only Son of God who was born in Bethlehem. He died on the cross, though He was perfect. He died for our sins, rose again three days later, ascended to heaven. He's coming back again. He is the way and the only way for salvation. He's the only way in which we might be able to know God, spend eternity in heaven and have everlasting life as well as living the life that He has intended for us to live. And then there's the church, also is one of our core values. We believe in the church. The church is the body of Christ. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is the head of the church, and we are those living stones. We're commissioned to carry out the work. Matter of fact, before we leave church, the core value of the church, look at Ezra. Chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, This is how Zerubbabel answered those who were the adversaries or the enemies, understanding that we have our enemies are not flesh and blood, but the scripture says the powers, principalities, and those who live in this present dark age. But notice how this is how he answered in verse 3. He said, But Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and the rest of the heads of the fathers' houses in Israel said to them, you have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. These are the remnant who are coming and were to build the temple. Let's parallel that. Jesus has called us only the church. There's no plan B. Only the church in order to be able to build the church, the kingdom of God, and to share the good news. Ah, that's why we have a passion for the church, because it is only the body of Christ. We are the ones who hold the hope of the world in our hands and our hearts that we are to be able to share with others. Much more could be said. Ministry is one of our core values. Believers are called. We're called for salvation. We're also called to serve, all to be, all to be involved in ministry in the name of Jesus. Missions is one of our core values. We want to fill the Acts 1-8 commissions that ye shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. Those are our five core values. We may add, though, we've talked about it the last couple of years, we may be adding a six. Might make ministry missions one just because we like the number five, but uh, and it might be this. Biblical definition of family. It's spelled out in the Bible as all of these things help us to be able to know and to understand, but in the days in which we live, how important it is our core value of the biblical definition of family, one man, one woman, bringing up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, how important that is. We will not partner with those who are taken away from these core values. We'll pray. We hope that all come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and we will worship Jesus even if others do not and even if persecuted. But also we will worship Him even when life is not working out like we had hoped. I, I need to tell you the pattern throughout the Bible that when you decide I'm truly going to worship Jesus as I should and I'm going to follow Him, the pattern in the Bible and the pattern continues to be is that there'll be problems along the way. There'll be roadblocks. There'll be persecutions that will come that will keep us from fulfilling what God will have us to do. Those who returned to build the temple had a great start, but when things did not work out like they had thought, they went many years not working on the temple. Notice Ezra chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. 
He says, And the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah, made them afraid to build, and bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Most of us probably can relate. Have you ever been discouraged? Remember that Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. Have you ever been afraid? Jesus said, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Have you ever been frustrated? Jesus said, do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. We see in chapter 3 the wonderful picture of worship. Even before the temple began, long before it was completed. In chapter 4, there began to be opposition. And the work would stop for 15 years, but it would begin again. In your walk with the Lord, there will be discouragement along the way from time to time. There will be times of fear and frustration. Even if you feel delayed in your growth, you're unable to get much done, you think for the Lord, regardless of who is king, regardless of who is president, or what's happening in this world, don't stop your worship with others or your personal worship. Make genuine worship your one priority and let the, what the Israelites sing be your motivation. For He is good. His steadfast love endures forever toward all those who place their faith in Jesus. A couple of terms you're probably familiar with. One of those is uh, uh, FOMO, fear of missing out. Anybody have that perhaps? I think some of us maybe are on... Uh, uh, Twitter, Facebook, and social media a lot because we just want to know what everybody else is doing, perhaps. I'm probably not on it a lot for the same reason. I don't want to see what you ate last night because I have the fear that I might have wanted to have that very thing, perhaps. Well, there's another phrase I've come across. I don't know if it's new or somebody was just using that, but it's, uh, it's this, the disease to please. That is, you've got to please everybody else. You just want everybody else to be happy. You just want to please no matter what, what others do, or maybe even to just to please yourself. But understand that there's only one that you need to please. It is your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and if you do that, everything else will take care of itself. One more attribute for the worship we want to learn. Their worship in our text was in anticipation and in faith that one day the temple would be built. They were able to look to the past. They knew that there was going to be a temple. There had been there before. Look to the future that one day they worship today because they look forward to the temple and the worship that was going to take place. We have the same thing today. We know because it's been written in the past and we recognize and look forward to the worship that's going to take place in the future. Revelation in chapter 7 was written in the past. But we recognize and we want to worship today because we anticipate this kind of worship Revelation chapter 7, 9 and following says, After this I looked, behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And verse 13 reads, Then one of the elders addressed me, Who are these clothed in white? And from where they have come, he said, Sir, you know, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes, made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
motivation for worship. How do we worship? Worship Him, Jesus. Worship Jesus in great anticipation of future worship. Now this is our worship service as we've come together. We, we got 50 more of these in 2024 that we're going to be a part on Sunday morning. We'll have other times in which we'll have worship as well. We come together. This may be your only definition of worship. And if it is, let's tweak it just a little bit. And the fact that worship's not only, not because just what we've gathered, but it is that which is of the heart in tune with the relationship with the Lord Jesus. It happens not just here, but it's worship that happens in your homes when you are alone and with your families. It is what happens 24-7, 366 days this year when you commit everything that you do to the Lord. So I invite you. I invite you to come and join us here, still the beginning of 2024, so this is what I want to do this year and following. I want to make worship a priority. And I invite you that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you begin that relationship with Him, maybe even because of worship, so that you'll have and you will worship the right one, the right thing, understanding that a relationship with the Lord Jesus is the hope that you need for salvation, for eternity, and the hope for your living today. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that we've been able to be a part of this worship service today. We pray that we may continue to point to a greater worship service in the future. And today know that we worship you because of what Jesus has done for each one of us. Give us more opportunities, Father, to be able to share with others about the one in whom we worship. We pray, Father, if there's one or more here today or one who may be listening today that does not know you as Lord and Savior. May today be the day in which they ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins. Ask Christ to come in and be Savior and Lord. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand? We're going to be singing our song of commitment today. So worship continues as you make your commitment to the Lord today, either right where you are, or if you need to make it public today. Maybe you need to come giving your heart and life to Jesus. Maybe you already have, but you've not made that public. We encourage you to do that today. I and many of our staff will be standing down here at the front. We encourage you to come follow the Lord's direction in your life. Our altar is open if you'd like to come and join the church. Be part of the Parkway family. Just come and let us know. We'll tell you next steps from there as we sing together.